0: The GIST is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Casper mattresses come with free delivery and returns within a 100 day period. And get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com slash GIST and using the promo code GIST.
1: The following podcast contains explicit language.
0: Mm-hmm. Friday, February 5th, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. In last night's debate, Hillary Clinton took some umbrage and left change at Bernie Sanders' insinuation, his suggestion that all the money she took from the financial industry in any way affected any votes she ever made regulating the financial industry. Maybe I needed another voice creak on that. Regulating... The financial industry, and then she gave a shout out to a local New York business. Artful smear. The artful schmear. Williamsburg's favorite artisanal bagelry. I like their kombucha bagel with locally sourced dill cream cheese. If I may make a suggestion. Oh, I think you suggested quite enough said the senator. Well, let's talk about it, said the other senator. And talk they did. Talk we both issues. agree with campaign finance reform. Let's talk I have worked hard for McCain-Feingold. I want to reverse Citizens United. Let's talk about issues. Let's talk
1: about issues. All right. Let's talk about why in the 1990s, Wall Street got deregulated. Did it have anything to do with the fact that Wall Street provided, spent billions of dollars on lobbying and campaign contributions? Well, some people might think, yeah, that had some influence. Let's ask why it is that we pay by far the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs and your medicine can be doubled tomorrow and there's nothing that the government can do to stop it. you think it has anything to do with the huge amounts of campaign contributions and lobbying from the fossil fuel industry?
0: Nah, probably not. Probably the pharmaceutical industry, which is, of course, what Bernie meant. So I don't put it past the fossil fuel industry and the pharmaceutical industry to do a little crisscross, strangers on the train style. So pharma lobbies on behalf of fossil and fossil lobbies on behalf of pharma. And You can't follow the money. It's a quid pro Fossil Fossilceuticals. They're coming to get you, people. But here's what I want to talk about. I think both players in this, both sides of this debate are genuine. I think they believe what they're saying. Of course, Bernie believes what he's saying. He believes that if you take money from an industry that you regulate, it's going to affect your regulation of the industry. That's why it doesn't take the money. And I think Hillary Clinton absolutely believes that she never changed a vote. And I I do think she's really taking umbrage at the suggestion that she changed a vote or sold her vote or was bought off. Yeah, maybe the umbrage is amped up, but it's not ginned up. He is imputing her motives and she is striking back. But that's not what really is going on here. You know, if you asked Hillary Clinton, well, does anyone's vote get changed by the industries they take money from? I'm sure she would say, yeah, it happens. She just doesn't think it happens to her. You know why? People don't think it happens to them. I'm sure there's some percentage that is honest with themselves saying, oh yeah, they're going to give me money. I'm going to vote for you. But I also think a lot of people just don't know how to examine their own implicit biases. And study after study bears this out. Like they did a study about teachers and they asked them, do you call on the boys or the girls more? And teachers wanting to do the right thing said, I have no bias. And yet when they showed them the results, they did have a bias. They were calling on the boys more. This is why a lot of police departments say a grocer can't give the cop walking a beat, can't give him an apple. Why? Is that gonna, is an apple going to buy off and bribe the cop? No. But between the appearance of impropriety and the subtle unconscious bias, it's prudent just to ban the practice. Now, it is true that in jurisdictions where that ban is literally on the books, a matter of law, and not just a department procedure, the lawmakers who voted on the Apple ban are themselves allowed to receive big donations from the Apple growers and the police unions and the grocers consortium. And it is hard to prove that money directly affects votes. Political scientists disagree on the basic question. They don't really disagree on the question, is donating political dollars worth it? Yeah. One study showed that for every dollar donated, they looked at 48 states, for every $1 in corporate campaign contributions – They got $6.65 in lower state corporate taxes. So from the industry standpoint, it pays to donate. But from the individual legislator standpoint, it's hard to prove what happens. Because the other side of that argument is, hey, listen, I just happen to believe in the things that I believe in. And if people who also believe in those things, including businesses, want to give me money, that's great. Iowa, Chuck Grassley, senator from there. Guy loves ethanol. The ethanol industry gives Chuck Grassley a lot of money. It all works out. Sugar and the Senator from Florida. Banks and the Senator from New York. It's all kind of similar. You can't prove that donations change votes. I did read one study where they looked at retiring congressmen, right? The idea was, well, these congressmen don't need the donations anymore, so they're free to vote however they want, and they didn't vote any differently from when they were getting the donations. But of course, there's a lot of caveats to that study, right? And anyway, I don't think donations are that explicit a quid pro quo. Here's 100 bucks, vote my way. But I think they make you sympathize or empathize with who's giving you money, give them an extra listen, give them attention. There's only so much attention a senator could give. Someone gives you a lot of money, you're going to give them a lot of attention. Hey, that's a great idea. I'll write it into a bill, that sort of thing. I do, however, think that in the aggregate, Donations do tend to bend legislators towards the groups giving money, not because legislators are bad people, just because they're people people. And as for this race, I believe that Bernie Sanders will get the vote of just about every Democratic primary voter who says, I would not accept hundreds of thousands of dollars to speak once for Goldman Sachs. And I believe that Hillary Clinton will get the vote of every primary voter who admits, heck, I take $600,000 to speak once for Goldman Sachs. And as for the voters who say they wouldn't take the money, but who really would, well, that's between them, their conscience, and the voting lever. On the show today, it's an antan twig, but first, Justin Peters has watched not one or two or 48 Super Bowls. He's watched 49 Super Bowls, because 48, who wants to interview that guy? But the guy who watched every single Super Bowl, we're going to have him on, and he talks to the guy who first suggested that he watched every single Super Bowl. That guy is me, and we'll see how sharp a shiv Justin is packed. The Super Bowl. It's like the Super Bowl of football games, but it's not even that. It's a little bigger and at the same time a lot smaller. Here's what I mean. There are like five or six people maybe who've been to every Super Bowl. Visa did a commercial about fans who've been to every Super Bowl. And a lot of people you meet will say, yeah, I watched every Super Bowl either since it's been on or since I've been watching football. But what does that mean? They've watched every Super Bowl. They got distracted. They had some dip tuned in or out of a commercial, and even if they did watch, and even if somehow you can ascertain that they watched every play of every Super Bowl, they did it a year at a time. Well, there is one man who has watched every Super Bowl pretty much all in a row, and that man is here with me today. His name is Justin Peters. This idea of watching every Super Bowl, I had a little something to do with it. I want to apologize to you. Yeah, uh, apology
1: accepted. Listen, like I'm the guy at Slate where they come up with an idea, <laughs> they're like
0: something that would be horrible to do and yes. take a lot of time. Let's call Peters. So here's how it worked. I was reading an article on the worst Super Bowls ever played, and everyone lists Super Bowl 5 as a bad one. It was close, but there were a few turnovers. So I said to myself, how bad was Super Bowl 5? So all the Am I right? All the Super Bowls are on YouTube? Pretty much all of them. Yeah. yeah. The there's... recent ones they try to keep off for copyright Right, but... Look,
1: like, they'll be up there for, like, a month, and then they'll take them down, and then someone else will upload them. You yeah. can find them.
0: But it's really easy to get to Super Bowls, you know, not one, but, you know, two through t- 39, really easily. So I was watching Super Bowl five, and... I was just—every four seconds, I was like, I can't believe this is happening. Most of it is because I'm a huge football fan, but little things like there was an offsides penalty, and it was 15 yards. And they maybe showed two replays in the first half, and the halftime show was announced as some guy on a trumpet. So I (laughs) was— It was Al Hurt. It was Al Hurt, just some trumpeter.
1: At first, it sounds, wait, you're going to pay me to sit on my ass and, like, watch football, like, for a month? Sure, I'll start tomorrow. And then I started, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a lot harder, like, than I thought, because these games aren't very good, and they're very long, and they
0: just keep on going and going and going. Okay, so your companions for these were the football announcers. John Madden's the best. You love John Madden. No doubt, yeah.
1: I'll tell you what, I bet if they had a sweat contest, I bet Joe Jacoby would lead it. I mean, I watch him in practice, and he just sweats through anything that he has on there. And I'll bet you that right now that he has more sweat than any player that's playing out there. Well, that's a pretty big load to carry around. Yeah. There's a lot of pores
0: for sweat to come out of.
1: I think the thing I sort of react to more than anything, is modern-day announcer voice. Yes, that like is true. Old-timey announcer voice was much warmer. He was there to be your companion. Yeah, more companionable. And yes. Like these days, Bombast.
0: like... Yeah, it's it's horrible. I I can't stand it. Did you find the time that you could put your finger on where you were like, now it is officially a spectacle that has its own gravity? Now it's beyond, hey, we hope a lot of people watch the best or the final football game of the season, now it is this culturally dominant force.
1: I think you can put that right around uh, Super Bowl 20. Uh maybe a little bit earlier. Was that maybe. the
0: Michael Jackson halftime show? No,
1: no, no. That was uh, the Bears Super Bowl shuffle. Right, um, right, right. When like they released a song about going to the Super Bowl and it like became a hit, so that even people who had no idea what the Super Bowl was, they were doing the shuffle. I sure can. This is Steve. And it's no wonder. I run like... So bring on Atlanta, bring on Dallas This is for Mike and Papa Bear Hellas But I'm not here, the feathers ruffle I just came here to do the Super
0: Bowl shuffle I'm L.A. Mike and I play it cool You
1: yeah. know, that's sort of when you can start to realize Okay, like this is an event that transcends just like the championship football game here These are personalities that sort of exist, you know, outside the lines, so to speak
0: What do you think of the halftime show as an institution?
1: You know, it really sort of changed in the first sort of like twenty, twenty-five years of the Super Bowl. Is very much sort of America as like your dad wanted to see it, right? <laughs> you know, upbeat, sort of brightly colored. You know, maybe some martial pageantry, like in there. Up their... with
0: people played how many Super Bowls? Four yeah. Super Bowls. Yeah.
1: They are. You've seen one minute of one of those halftimes. You've seen them all. But then they had some cruddy uh, Super Bowl halftime show and Fox aired like a special episode of In Living Color is counter-programming and everyone turned to In Living Color. And then the NFL was like, well, that can't happen again. So they scheduled Michael Jackson like the next year. And from then on, it's all been, who's the biggest
0: person we can get who is non-threatening? All right. This has been a good conversation so far, but let's uh, take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. Chevrolet is taking charge of one hot experience no other two plus two can touch. All right, so that was the Chevy Camaro, and the ad was two Camaro owners driving on Mars. <laughs> and this wasn't even the worst ad in Super Bowl history. No, no, this like, because we have to explain what's going on. As the Camaro goes by, there are these Martians, and their eyes glow. <laughs> what this is like nineteen 1980- eighty? This is 1984. Yeah. This is 1984. And,
1: like, their Chevy had, like, a suite of ads <laughs> with their Chevrolet taking charge.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: you know, you, that makes me want to buy a Chevy. Yeah. You know, And, and
0: so, they would compare the Chevrolet favorably to the Ford Escort.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it wasn't even comparison. It was <laughs> like they had, like, taken, like the guy who was, you know, selling fake IDs out of his basement and said, can we use your basement and your non-skills to film this ad? And it was that exact same year, though, that Apple had its 1984 ad that really sort of revolutionized Super Bowl ads because it was an ad that was supposed to be good and it was cinematic and it was well-paced and they actually hired someone who wasn't like a remedial high school student like to film it. (laughs) And from then on, people could actually say, well, I'm watching the Super Bowl for the commercials and not be the grandmother of the person who had made the commercial.
0: I think that that's a little like the halftime show. Everyone talks about it, but it's only because everyone talks about it. I mean, most of the commercials in the Super Bowl are just commercials. Like, they're commercials. Okay, the polar bear talked, but without the Super Bowl, (laughs) you'd still have a talking polar bear. So I think that that is a little mass delusion, getting off on the commercials during the Super Bowl.
1: I mean, maybe. I know a lot of people who will be wherever I'm watching the Super Bowl this Sunday who don't give a damn about football, you know, who don't really eat meat or like drink beer. You know, they got to be watching something. (laughs) They're definitely tuning in to see that polar bear talk. That is true.
0: Especially if he's driving a Camaro. On. Yeah, on Mars, yeah. <laughs> Do you think, so 49 football games in a row, and these are long football games where the breaks are longer and halftime is longer. If I sat you down and just cherry-picked the best game, the closest game, a historic game, from each of those last 49 seasons, your viewing experience would be much better?
1: The games that I ended up liking the best were the ones that, were close and tense and sort of cleanly played and it wasn't the same like three teams over and over again probably my favorite uh, Super Bowl game that was just a game was Rams Titans in uh, 99 or 2000 where Warner was sort of going insane he had that like crazy season he had like been a supermarket dude like a couple of years before And there's that like big play, like that they, literally the last second, like they tackled like the Titans receiver at the one yard line. his helmet was in the end zone. It's a great game. It's a fantastic like game. If they could all be like that with an actual storyline of someone overcoming adversity to, like, put up, you know, video game stats and literally, like, go into the last minute before it ends. Yeah, then
0: that'd be, like, sign me up to do that again. I'm going to guess you're less invested in will Peyton Manning win a second one, but you might be kind of interested in what does it mean if Cam Newton wins a Super Bowl. I'm actually sort of
1: excited about this game, selective amnesia, I suppose. (laughs) Uh,
0: The one thing you want to do after watching 49 Super Bowls (laughs) is your sight to watch the Super Bowl. Well, there's such a
1: contrast between the two quarterbacks this year, Mm -hmm. though. I mean, you've got, like pocket passer Payton and, you know, Cam, who is, could not be more different, uh, both in terms of the way he plays and the affect with which he plays. And I think it could be a good quarterback matchup. I'm much more into watching Cam than I am watching old man-shaped box marked fragile, do not drop, you know, like try to win (laughs) or not again.
0: So would your rankings of excitement go something like this? One Cam, two, the halftime show, three, the commercials, for Peyton Manning?
1: Look, Peyton's a fantastic, like, quarterback, you know, but you know what he's going to give you, especially now. You know, a lot of pouts, a lot of, yeah. you know, calls, like, from the line, a lot of passes that he would have thrown better four years ago. Love his commercials, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably, like, Peyton's commercials, four, Peyton himself, five. Right, right. Him. Hey, Peyton, what are you doing? Pulsing the doll.
0: Papa John's gets the endorsement. Justin Peters is the man who qualifies for workman's comp based on the assignment, having watched 49 straight Super Bowls over how long? How long did it take you?
1: Uh, About two months. Two Two months. months. Yeah. There's a reason why the Super Bowl is only once a year. I guess there's lots
0: of reasons why. Justin Peters has watched all those Super Bowls for us. And Justin's book is called The Idealist. It's about Aaron Swartz and the rise of free culture on the internet. That's the other thing that he was doing between Super Bowls. Thank you, Justin. And I'm looking forward to your watching the big game on Sunday. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. Abe Vigoda died recently, which brings me to Casper Mattresses. All right, follow me here, follow me here. Remember that scene in The Godfather? Where Vigoda comes in, and he's got a package, and he puts the package down. And I think Sonny says, what the hell is this? I think it's um, Clemenza who says, it's an old Sicilian message. Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. Well, that package, the size of that package, that's not much smaller than a Casper mattress, what a Casper mattress comes in when they ship it to your house. Now, I don't know if they find people at Casper would take kindly to me conflating their fantastic mattresses to a message about the death of mob and force of Luca Brazzi, But I think they will. Because I'm really getting at how compact and easy the delivery was. To send a message about the death of Luca Brazzi was pretty easy. To send a mattress... Seems not that easy, and yet Casper makes it easy. For under $1,000, you could buy a king-size mattress. For $500, you could buy a twin-size mattress, and it's completely risk-free, unlike when Luca Brasi went to that fateful meeting and he was stabbed in the hand. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert for The Godfather. And here is the offer. I don't think that you can refuse it. You get $50 off any mattress by visiting casper.com slash gist and using gist as the promo code. Terms and conditions apply. And now the spiel, it's an antan twig, our word for a three-week period wherein we award lop stars and give corrections. So I'm gonna start with a flat out correction. In my conversation with Jamel Bowie, the claim was made that some Trump voters might not have gone through with voting for Trump because in Iowa, you have to declare yourself publicly and Trump shaming might be a thing in Davenport. No, no, that's not the case. Republican caucuses are done via secret ballot. Still, I think the prospect of facing the local clergyman who's staring at you and he's all upright and full of Ted Cruz rectitude, it might have scared the Jesus into a Trump guy or two. And then yesterday, Trump said this. You can tell them to go themselves. <laughs> go blank themselves. But the thing is, it was blank. He did not say the word fuck. He didn't whisper it just like I did, but the broadcast still pixelated his mouth because he did mouth the word fuck. He did say shit. I'm going to knock the shit out of ISIS. He did say I don't give a damn. He did say they're ripping the shit out of the sea, but he just mouthed the word fuck. I don't like it. Even though I'm profanity, I do not like when a possible president, I don't think that's going to happen goes up to the fuck line in public. Like, the fuck line in private is fine. Someone giving someone the middle finger, or even the whole on the floor of Congress. Dick Cheney said it. I don't care. Like I said, I'm profanity. But there has to be a limit. And I think, as with so many things, Trump has crossed that line and exceeded that limit. You know who else doesn't like it? Barbara Bush doesn't like it.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm not getting a spitting match with him. He can spit further than I can.
0: Barbara Bush... So she was on the CBS morning show today, and Jeb told her about Trump saying these dirty words, and Barbara said, who said that? Jeb's like, who do you think? It was like this real honest son and mother moment. Barbara Bush, by the way, they keep telling us America loves Barbara Bush. I don't know if that's true. I don't think it was true. I think it may be becoming more true. All right, other major corrections. Major Flintstones error, as pointed out by Leo McKay. I said in our paleo diet piece that we could take the kids out for a treat Through the Courtesy of Fred's Two Feet. Let's hear the actual lyric. Craig writes in that P.T. Barnum's Jumbo the Elephant didn't die in Tufts, died in Canada. So many bad things happen in railway accidents in Canada. But he was stuffed and sent to Tufts and he burned down. But the stuffed jumbo burned down, not the real live jumbo. He was already dead. Although, you know, I think it was an Indian elephant, might have been Hindu and reincarnated. Not sure how that works. And now let's do the numbers. The other day on this show, I said, quote, the odds of one candidate winning all six coin tosses in a row is a little more than 3%. Someone's going to write in and say it's actually less than 1%. No, it's not. It's 3%, 1 over 2 to the 5th. Well, guess what? Someone wrote in and said I was wrong. More than one person. Oh, people are trying to math explain this to me left and right. Nope, I know what I said. Not going to take your time up here. I'm not saying that the odds of Hillary Clinton winning six in a row aren't less than 1%. That's true. The odds of Bernie Sanders winning six in a row, that's also less than 1%. But the odds of any one candidate, a candidate, winning six in a row, that's around 3%. No more explaining. I'm right. All right, now let's go to another math problem, and let's go to the Lopstars of the Antan Twig. So the second runner-up for Lopstar of the Antan Twig, our listener, our tweeter, our Facebook follower, who uh, elevates the conversation the most, is a guy named Harry Lime. I don't think that's his real name. I think that was Orson Welles' character in The Third Man. But after the show, where I gave out my advice on what Powerball numbers to play, based on scarcity of result, based on not wanting to share the prize with others— He played those exact numbers, and he posted it, and so I say thank you now. You would think that if he won, and there were 10 other just listeners who won, he'd feel like both the biggest idiot in the world, but also a multimillionaire. so it would all even out, but I think that he knew that the consolation prize, everyone else who lost Powerball gets nothing. He gets the second runner-up of the lobster of the Antan Twig. That, That consolation prize was worth it. Now, for our runner-up and winner, I take you to a conversation, a fevered, a fraught conversation on Facebook between Michael, Quebec, C-A-B-C, Cabic. I don't know. Is that a name? Is that a rhyme scheme? It doesn't matter because Michael argued with Steve Krukheimer. And Krukheimer was saying, I was wrong. It doesn't matter what numbers you play. Doesn't increase your chances of winning the lottery, which is true. But Michael Quebec, possibly the rhyme scheme, possibly an actual surname, Michael Quebec said, no, that's not what he was saying. He's not talking about your chances of winning. He's just talking about when you do win, increasing your chances of not sharing. Oh, and these two went at it fiercely. And I didn't even have to get involved, which is really nice to just sit back and let the people hash it out. Stephen Kruckheimer incorrectly, and Michael Quebec, correctly. So this is why Kruckheimer, for being game- Gets the runner-up as the lopstar of the Antan Twig. This is why Michael C.A.B.C. Kabak gets the lopstar of the Antan Twig. Not only was he correct, but he also fiercely agreed with me, and I do find the two are often correlated. Congratulations, Michael Kabak, Kabak, Kabak for you are the lopstar of the Antan Twig. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi based a character in her one-woman show on the artful Schmirer. He was dubbed Wiley Hinter. Now, Andrea can't be our producer forever. We're asking for a producer, a new producer, someone to work first with Andrea and then maybe with other people as our staff increases, as our reach broadens, as lop stars are awarded throughout this great land. To find out if you have the skills to be our producer, if you know someone who's been producing radio or podcasts for a while, if they like the show, if they're up on the news, if they're into creativity, if they don't mind me yeah i'd have to say more than not mind they might have to like me or at least my public persona it's not far off from what i do in private actually sometimes keep gym clothes in the office andrea doesn't like that if you have a problem with that you might not want to apply i'm just warning you go to slate.com slash the gist or check out the notes in our show page it is all the information about this uh, producer job that we're advertising The executive producer of Slate Podcast, Steve Liktai, is a bit of a conniving illusionist. Chief content officer of the Panoply Network is Andy Bowers. Don't trust that guy. He's a canny intimator. The gist. Confession, I do not actually enjoy the dill cream cheese at the Artful Schmear. I just said that to be relatable. What I like is an emulsion of a reduction of a fig balsamic vinaigrette with just a hint of radicchio. You mix that up in a bowl, and then like a dry martini, you toss that. And then what you put in the bowl is cinnamon toast crunch and milk. But 2% milk, because I'm not fancy. Um peru de peru du peru, and thanks for listening.